This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right, welcome back to Transparency, everyone. It's just the the two of us uh, today. It's been it seems like it's been a while, Aaron, since just you and I had a conversation. We've uh, we've had some amazing guests on the show, and it's uh, it'll be nice to just have a conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, it has been been some time. Kind of how we got got things uh, started, and yeah, good to uh, yeah, just kind of hash out some 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 personal takes. For sure. Um, yeah, lots has lots has been happening uh, in the whole trans debate over the last little while, um, but there was one topic that that you wanted to touch on that I think we could start with is is this concept of internalized transphobia. So maybe um, that was an idea you threw out uh, for a topic. What what has that on your mind? Um, it was actually a thread that I saw um, people, uh, Sasha, throwing out the idea of, of gender wider lens covering the topic of internalized transphobia. And I was, I was like, oh, you totally should devote a whole episode to it. And she's like, no, you should. I was like, oh, yeah, we could do that, we could do that too. <laughs> um, but it does actually make a lot more sense uh, for us to tackle it just because, you know, as as trans people, um, you know, we, we do have a, a, a better idea. Not not that not that I think um, many of the other uh, uh trans people who don't necessarily share our more heterodox views are going to agree with our take on uh, on internalized transphobia. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting topic. And, um, and one that I think, I think those of us who are in the kind of like, as paradoxical as it sounds, the, the gender critical trans camp, um, uh, th- we, uh, we, we kind of make fun of the concept um, because it's just thrown at us like, oh, we're just suffering from internalized transphobia anytime we examine these issues critically. Um, but uh, so, so we kind of dismiss it. But it is an interesting, it is an interesting um, concept. Um, my, uh, so, so I guess I'll just launch into it if, it's, sure. if that's cool with you. Yeah. So like in the, in the uh, kind of trans spaces, the, 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 the concept internalized transphobia is pretty much um, uh, consistently used to stamp out any doubt. So that's that's my big issue with it, why, why I primarily uh, abhor the idea of internalized transphobia is because, um, and this was the case even 10 years ago when I was embarking upon transition, is like whenever anybody says, you know, I'm concerned about this or I'm worried about this, it's like, the messaging that you're brought back is, well, that's just internalized transphobia. It's the society around you telling you that it's wrong to be trans. And if that didn't exist, then you would know, you know, you wouldn't have any of these doubts or these concerns. Um, so on on that level, I, I feel like the, the concept of internalized transphobia is, has done an incredible amount of harm. Um, but... Um, and, but then, so I guess I, I maybe I've gone too far too quickly because I wanted to kind of ex- like think about this from, um, do I have an experience of internalized transphobia? Um, 
And and the answer is no, but I think that's probably has a lot to do with the fact that maybe when I when I embarked upon this ten years ago, I was already immersed in this culture where trans was beautiful, trans was great. You know, any anything that tells you that this might be a you know um, uh, just kind of like make you make you maybe you're making a bad decision for your life. Maybe um, you know people in your life, friends or family, who tell you uh, that this is a bad decision. You know, they're obviously acting out of a place of, of transphobia and not you know not genuinely uh, love and concern. Um, anyway, so, and then, and then basically I'm doing my entire transition, um, in, in the kind of, you know, liberal sphere, uh, that I've, that I've always been in. I never, I was never the, uh, on the receiving end of any, uh, transphobia. <laughs> One day, uh, you know, early on in transition, somebody, somebody gendered me as male. It was a drunk guy, like walking down the street and he's like, oh shit, that's a lesbian. And then like started being homophobic, you know, like, so th but that, that was homophobic abuse. That wasn't like transphobia. But uh, anyway, that was like my only, only experience with anything that could be remotely called uh, a transphobia. Um, uh, so it's just, um, in, in, in fact, I've been able to use it kind of to my advantage in job interviews where it's like, oh, I'll just drop this diversity point right here on the table, you know, and it's, it's been, it's been, a, a, you know, it's, it's been a, a currency more than more than a detriment my my trans status that is um anyway so so for me the idea of internalized transphobia never really existed um and i never um yeah i, I never experienced anything that could be called internalized transphobia i mean obviously now it's being you know i'm being told by trans activists every well not every day it used to be but all the time that i um that I'm suffering from internalized transphobia by being critical of, of the trans narrative um, and that I'm, you know, cis boot licking uh, another topic maybe we could, <laughs> we could get into. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so my take on internalized transphobia is it doesn't, uh, well, I think for many it does exist. That's, yeah, of course, of course it does. It, it doesn't exist for me, but I think mostly it's been a hijacking of the concept of internalized homophobia because uh, homophobia is, 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 so I guess this is where where the crux of the issue is. Is trans trans is something that you choose. It's it's not something immutable or innate in a person. And maybe that's the crux of where we disagree. I think with the with the the trans activists, right? Is it's a decision that we made. And you know, a, a lot of the trans activists are, are, are um, uh, male to female transitioners, and they're quite visibly uh, trans. And so I think they obviously suffer a lot more. Um, <clears throat> you know, derision and, and abuse uh, than, than you or I would. Um, but it's still a, a choice that they've made. You know, it's like they can choose to not present as female. That might sound cruel um, to, to say, but, but I'm, and, it, and it is, and I'm sorry that I'm saying that, but I mean, like, it's not like homophobia. It's, it's not like <clears throat> internalized homophobia where you feel like this, this innate attraction you've always known, you always had, you don't have a choice in the matter. Um, and 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 you can't escape the societal derision uh, that is that's cast upon you um, due to that. And so apply that same concept to transphobia doesn't really work because again, it's a decision that we made that we do not have to make, and that we could ultimately, um, in most cases, undo if we felt that we were actually um, unsafe in any way. I know that state that whole <laughs> that whole few sentences are going to get me in a lot of trouble with a lot of people but um but that's kind of the the un, unfleshed out um, yeah. uh, thoughts on the issue. Well yeah there's a lot there to flesh out and you know I 
started to have tons of ideas. So which thread do I grab first? Because it's, it's, yeah. it's complicated. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the ways that my mind went on it initially when you first started, you know, using that word internalized transphobia, I mean, you're right that we get accused of it all the time because we acknowledge our biological sex. Um, so where do I want to go first? Well, I think where I'll go, well, where I'll go first is just that accusation, right? That unless we t we truly believe that we have changed sex or we, that we were always male, that somehow that's internalized transphobia. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like, because I've spent most of my trans life living stealth, where it wasn't it wasn't at all appealing for me to go through the world announcing that I was trans everywhere I go. I mean, there is that trans subculture where they really want to be visibly trans and they really want to just kind of, you know, mm -hmm. project that everywhere that they go. And that that's never really been my, my gig. I wanted to just appear as the opposite sex, live my life as the opposite sex. Um, so living stealth and that living stealth is exhausting. And I do wonder, you know, was there how much of that was internalized transphobia like but it's not so much a fear of it's a it, i tweeted about this that i think the fear isn't what people think of trans i think the fear is what do people think of what's underneath trans because for 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 people to understand my story and realize that you know i lived 30 years of my life as, as a dyke and you know that it's it's gen extreme gender nonconformity i think that people react to i mean like like you said that it wasn't until people said oh well that's a dyke that then then they gave you a hard time because uh, out of homophobia and i think mm -hmm. that is that is the fear is that unless everyone buys into this idea that trans is, is beautiful and trans is literally we change to become the opposite sex and unless people 100% see us that way that what they're seeing is a woman with a beard. Right? Mm, what they're seeing mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. is gender nonconformity. They're seeing gay and lesbian people who are far outliers on on the you know the sex trait spectrum. They're seeing people with autogynophilia, right? And so that mm -hmm. I think it, it's so I don't think it's it's tr internalized transphobia. It's it's fear of homophobia and fear of of what people think of what trans is under the surface because most people i don't think do buy the the trans narrative like outside of the queer theory circles people don't buy it and so if we want um healthy authentic relationships with people it becomes a barrier if we're trying to kind of push this narrative that you must see me as a man, you know, or else you're transphobic and we can't have any kind of relationship. Um, it means I can't have authentic relationships with very many people because not many people really believe that. And I don't think it's necessary for us to believe that or for anyone to believe that in order to be ourselves and to have a place in society and negotiate some boundaries, you know, with how all this works and, I don't know if I'm articulating that quite right, but it, I, I think it's internalized transphobia to feel like we can't acknowledge our entire story, including 
pre-transition and including biological sex, that all of that is part of our trans narrative. It's all a part of who we are as trans. So I actually think it, for me, it's a, it's a lot about self-acceptance to be able to own all of those pieces and, and my entire story and not compartmentalize it, you know, into, or, or rewrite my entire history to fit a trans narrative. Yep, yep. That's those are very good points. I, I hadn't thought about it from from that perspective. You're yeah, you're entirely right. Um, I think for me, like when there was a for the period of time where I was um, living stealth, I was concerned obviously about being outed, um, and it wasn't yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't a case of internalized. I mean, I guess you could could call it that. My thing was is I is more of <laughs> okay. I, maybe I don't want to dilute the concept of internalized transphobia too much, but I guess it would be more like a for for me more accurately would be internalized misogyny. Like it was it was very important to me to be seen for me to be seen completely as a man. And then if if somebody finds out that I was trans and not male, then that would basically jeopardize their seeing me as a man naturally right and so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't fear of being seen as trans it was fear of being seen as a woman right like so that uh, that i guess would sorry i kind of sidestepped where you were going but that that idea just mm -hmm. came into my head i realized that that was my concern before i came out with all of this stuff um but um but yeah they, they, there is a concerted effort obviously is to to um to call everything trans and therefore uh transphobia um b because of that 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 everything everything that's 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 glommed on underneath the, the the label of trans is like if we can just call this one thing it's more easy to accept but and i hadn't considered that either like you, you're saying that that the the world at large they don't buy it right i i guess um for me i i think i wonder how many do because I guess it depends on who has close relationships with trans people people who probably know trans people quite closely um don't buy it obviously but i think but i wonder if if the kind of the larger society that may not know any trans people that's probably the, the, that quantity of people is definitely shrinking but um but um i, I wonder if they buy it be because i feel like the, the the gay and trans branding that that conflation has has worked so well um it seems to me that I think a lot of people do just go, oh, that person's trans, like, oh, that person's gay, and they don't think too much more about it. I mean, I knew, I, even in the trans community myself, I didn't think that much more about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, oh, this experience of dysphoria, that means I'm trans. This person says they're trans, that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, like, I bought it even. I don't know. So I, I'm wondering. No, I, I totally did too. Like, I, I've, I've told that story before that part of, because I had lifelong gender dysphoria, that, that's unquestionable. Um, but um, I didn't know what it meant. And it, so it wasn't until I saw a documentary on TV that, that about trans kids that explained like, oh, here's all these kids that felt this way and behaved this way as children. And then they grew up and this and this and this. And that means that they're trans. And and so that documentary actually did um, a lot to, to totally switch my perception of my own experiences and said, oh, well then... I must be transient because if, if they're describing my experience to a T and they're saying that kids who had that experience are trans kids, well, then that, that must apply to me then because I had that experience. And now 15 years later, you know, I've tra transitioned and I'm hearing gay and lesbian people say, but I felt that way too. And that's <clears> actually <throat> a pretty common gay and lesbian experience. And I'm like, oh, well, 
what does that mean then? Like it, it and that's where the, you know the bubble started to burst for me is that experience is real, but the experience can have different interpretations and different meanings. And our culture has written this narrative that those those experiences means that all these kids are trans. Where I don't think we're hearing from. There's so much hiding right under that branding. Of, of this is all just trans and the narrative that we haven't heard that's only starting to come out from the gay and lesbian community is that such a common gay and lesbian experience especially when you look globally at gay and lesbian people worldwide and how we're integrated into different cultures and how homosexuality homosexuality itself ex seems to express itself differently in different cultures but we have different cultures even within North America. We have tiny little towns that have, have nothing in common with a town six hours away, right? We have all these regional cultures or even family cultures where I think if it's true, you know, that homosexuality gets expressed differently in different cultures, well, that can be, I think, true from family to family then or town to town then, depending on what messages we're receiving about our gender nonconformity or, or our sexuality and how that might inform our self-concept. There was certainly no concept of trans in my little town growing up. Right, right, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think now, now those kind of those, those little pockets of culture, they're probably heavily influenced by, um, uh, you, you know, um, just how connected everybody is, you know, social media wise. I think that kind of insulation, insulated nature of even the 80s and 90s doesn't really, um, it might not exist as much anymore. I could, I could be wrong about that. <coughs> but you're, but so I, I don't think, um, Like I, I'm still wondering how, like, because how much, how much the world at large still does buy that concept of of trans being one thing. Like, I, because I feel like, like we bought it. Why, you know, politicians or at least the the you know, the center and the left still buy it, um, or at least they buy it to 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 pander to. You, um, a mainstream audience or, or, or the largest demographic, but if they're pandering to the largest demographic, then that would mean that most people still buy it. They still buy the trans is one thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I yeah, it's, I've been curious what the average person out there thinks trans is. Uh, I think, I think the part that people, a lot of people don't buy is that we actually literally are the opposite sex. Right. Like I, right. I think I think mo I think most people acknowledge that there's some kind of psychological or um, or neurological reason why some people are trans in the way that some people are gay. I think that's probably the narrative that most people believe that this is right. But I think a lot of people think that we're all just gay. Yeah. 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 And it, well, and it's funny too. Well, like so. Because I think people, more the more people get to know trans people, the real the more they're realizing that the most trans people now identify as gay. That is, they are they are heterosexual, right? So I think I think the more people, um, um, and this will kind of bleed into the other concept that we wanted to talk about is that notion that cis people can't uh, uh, can't weigh in on these conversations. But um, uh, the 
so so the more the more people more trans people are coming out and then you're finding out that like so like let's say a really famous trans person such as contrapoints right now has identified herself as a lesbian um you know whereas before was always trying to maintain this um uh, this image of being attracted to men um and it's a very common image and we we now understand why that that kind of um uh, uh, why that interpersonal trajectory goes that way. Um, but I think more and more people, as they're meeting more and more trans people, they're realizing that, that it's not, not only is it not the same, or, or maybe let's, let's not quite go there yet, but it's that, that not all trans people are same sex attracted. And in fact, the, the more, you know, so I, I didn't realize until very recently that even from the dawn of the, the trans experience or as, as we started medicalizing it, the majority of, of, of um, male to female transitioners were heterosexual. I, I didn't know that until just, what, two years or, yeah, or even either. probably, right? Like, it's not something that, that even us in, in the community understood or, or realized. Um, and it really kind of just flips the narrative on its head. And I think so. But for the longest time, when I was in these communities and I was meeting all of these these trans people, and by and large, the experience certainly of the trans women was that they self-identified as lesbians, and I wouldn't let myself critically examine that concept. You know, it's like, it, you know, because it it um, uh, it well because like as I've explained my experience, I was only attracted to I wasn't I wasn't same sex attracted prior to transitioning. So like so I you know it was like I wasn't gonna gonna doubt the validity of my transness by doubting the validity of somebody else's transness, right? So like um but but so when all of these, you know, I was every trans woman I encountered claimed to be not every, but the vast majority claimed to be lesbians, I wouldn't allow myself to go, well that's 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 a heterosexual male then how like like it doesn't you, you won't allow your brain to go there even me as a trans person that felt blasphemous to consider that you know to, to make that to, to make that connection um and i think i think the, the the world certainly the good liberal progressives out there who are trying to be supportive of all things trans they're not going to let their minds uh go there and uh that so that that kind of connects to that that this this other concept that i wanted to touch on that helps to kind of insulate the the, the trans narrative along with that idea of internalized transphobia is this idea that that cis people air quotes on the cis there can't can't comment on on uh transition or gender dysphoria um and <laughs> and it's not really something I, I I ever bought, but I buy it even less now that what you're describing is, is where all these people that are adult homosexuals now coming forward and being like, oh, I had a total experience of gender dysphoria, you know, or in a lot of cases with, with um, uh, the um, with women, they're like, I, you know, I, I just manage it now or, or it got better or it, I just deal with it or whatever. <laughs> or, but, but for most of the, the um, uh the the men who said that they had dysphoria as a kid they outgrew it they went away with puberty like and so so it's really it's difficult to uh, certainly much more the more stories that we hear of these adults who either had childhood dysphoria or still manage dysphoria they're like oh well I'm not trans I didn't transition you know it's like the more stories you hear it's like the more it's total BS this concept of oh cis people can't talk about this and that's one of the things that people claimed was so transphobic of what. Um, what J.K. Rowling said was that if, you know, she, she said if, if 
you know, it was very evident to her that her dad wished she was a boy, right? And, and if and if she was if if the concept of transition was available when she was a kid, she would have transitioned to a boy right away, like like no questions asked. And people found that transphobic. It's like, oh, you're cis, you can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the concept falls flat on its face when you realize that just because she didn't have the tools, yeah. Anyway. Just because they didn't you... make the same choices that we made, that they have no right to comment. Right, right. But we're also not allowed to talk about trans as if it is just a choice that we made at, at the same time. One of those contradictions yeah, that's there. A, that's a good point. I mean, one of the things that, that I thought of, too, when you said, you know, internalized transphobia, just I guess I'm going back to that for a second. But sure, there are people that um, one of the things that I've been noticing on social media lately is is people saying, well, there there can't be any such thing as transphobia because there's no such thing as trans. Oh, okay. Have you heard yeah. that? Have you heard, oh, yes. heard that circulating yes. around? Um, very recently, very recently. It's it's used in quite of a concerning way, I'd, I'd say as well. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on. It, yeah, it's often used as um, I get to be mean as, na- and me- as mean and nasty as I want to be because there's no such thing as trans, so there can't be such thing as transphobia. Therefore, I get to be abusive and there's no... Uh, exactly. You can't accuse yep. me of transphobia. So, I mean, I don't, yep. I don't like when it's, it's it, you know, it's it's a dumb sort of semantic scheme in order to justify abuse but yeah it was just something that yeah. came, came to mind this whole idea of well transphobia and if can there be internalized transphobia if there's no such thing as trans it's a good point <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i guess that is kind of what i was saying right sort of in the beginning i, I, I was sort of claiming that there cannot be no such thing as transphobia because there's no such because <clears throat> Now, there's no such thing as trans. I, I mean, because I, I, I stick with the premise that trans is a choice that you make, right? Certainly as an adult, there are plenty of people being trans now that have no actual faculties to consent to the matter, and therefore trans is in no way a choice for them. Um, that's another matter entirely. Um, but um, but yeah, so so yeah, I guess for me, it's like I have a tough time kind of claiming claiming internalized transphobia just because, you know, Trans is a decision that I made as an adult with my eyes open, you know, um, and it's very different than than having than than a, than a sexual orientation that runs counter to what is societally acceptable. Um, but um, uh, but but no, you make you make a very good point. Is a lot of people are using that now to be um, uh, in, incredibly hostile because they're, they're saying like, oh, if I'm like the only if, if I'm basically being polite to this person, it means I'm validating their self-identification as the opposite sex. And that is such a ridiculous leap. Um, uh, yeah. So they're saying, yeah, there's no such, there's no such thing as trans people, which, which I'll, I'll grant them. I'll grant them, you know, we could call that a semantic game, but I, but on an ideological level, on a very, on a non-pragmatic, completely theoretical level, I'll agree with them that there's no such thing as, as trans people. Um, but to use that as an excuse to just be an absolute asshole to somebody, um, and then that's and that's another thing is like, and I, I've encountered that where it's like they're just being absolute cruel bullies, <laughs> and then when like oh somebody will come along and say oh now you're actually being the transphobes that we're basically that all gender critical people are accused of being, and they're like, well how can I be a transphobe if there's no you know there's no such thing as trans, so I can't be um, transphobic, and. Um, you know, I think it was, I think it was a response I had, or at least maybe in my head, no, I think it, or if it was something I read, it, it all gets confused in social media, like who's saying yeah. what, <laughs> you know, in these long threads, but um, the, um, basically along the lines of, well, 
you know, you can't just be an absolute asshole to somebody because you disagree with their life choices. And then the response to that is, oh, I have to be kind. Are you telling me to be kind? You know, they, they fall on those same kind of um, uh, cliches. Um, not sure if that's uh, yeah, on point here. but I guess I try to, I try to see that. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I try to relate to it as, you know, when people have experienced boundary violations, and they start yeah. to erect boundaries. Sometimes it's um, it's a little bit heavy-handed, like it's a little bit overdone. And, and then you know when when the, the healing of a boundary violation happens, then sometimes people feel comfortable to not not that they should ever take down boundaries. Boundaries are important, but we can start to sort of relax our boundaries a little bit when when we know that we're safe and when we when we know that people right. around us are going to protect uh, protect our boundaries. So I think. I think that's what's, what's happened is there's been such yeah. an overstep with trans politics that I think people saw that as, well, this happened because I was kind, you know, because I went along with the, the, the legal fiction and the social fiction of trans, because I went along with that, that these boundary violations have happened and, and all hell is broken loose. And, and so I think there is sort of this pendulum swing where people said, well, if, if this was because of I had weak boundaries then I need to I need to enforce boundaries. I think once we negotiate some of the nuances about, you know, making sure everyone's rights are protected, um, I, I hope that that will start to settle down and we can get back to feeling okay about the social fiction and legal fiction for those of us that have already transitioned. Yeah. Because <clears throat> coercing people to detransition, how is that okay? That's that's not ethical either. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a very... Um, very tiny, tiny minority within that uh, that 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 group. It is it is it is a frightening, um, uh, yeah, concept that that some of them are going down for sure. Um, but you do make a good point. Is is that in a lot of, <clears throat> I think a lot of the people who are now so aggressively um, maintaining the not yeah I don't want to but like so um, uh, so aggressively. <clears throat> anti everything that has to do with trans <clears throat> were themselves quite accommodating i think in the beginning quite pro trans typically what you see is is uh people who go on the far you know on the the pendulum swing back were um were often uh, you know very firmly in the, in the other camp and uh, I, th I think there's a sense of betrayal as well as like once once you realize that um like yeah it, yeah, so your, your boundaries are being violated and you also kind of, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling that they've been lied to and they have, you know, and so it's, it's quite, it's quite reasonable to suddenly been like, I, I was fed a fiction and I was very accommodating and I, I plugged this fiction and, and then, yeah, so that's, it's, it's easy to understand. There's just, yeah, that Benjamin swing back comes with a sense of, of, um, of betrayal as well as, as needing mm -hmm. to, um, yeah, draw, draw very firm line in the sand yeah i i agree with you i mean and i i hope what people will start to realize though is that um it's not like the whole trans community was in on that lie you know, oh that, yeah that that we bought the lie too right we yeah. we were fed the lie and we bought the lie yep. um so a lot of people who have transitioned it's by kind of by no fault of their own i mean not that they don't have any agency to have to have having made decisions but i don't mean that but when the whole world is saying well this is what your experience means and doctors have diagnosed it as that and doctors have said this is the treatment for it 
why are we at fault for having accepted that treatment for a condition that we have? Like, even if we, but we have to let the, we have to let the, the conversation evolve and we have to um, continue to let our understanding of what gender dysphoria is evolve as we would any condition. And, and we don't want to hinder progress. If, you know, let's say that, let's say someone came up with a, a, a hundred percent um, fail-proof cure for gender dysphoria. Let's say that that could happen or happens in the future. That doesn't mean that we force everyone to detransition and undergo that treatment, right? I mean, we've we kind of need a, a grandfather clause, I guess is what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. to to, yeah. In, to ensure that you know, <laughs> as long as people aren't doing any harm or abusing the their um, the trans card let us get on with our lives because it's not our fault that we happen to live in a particular moment in history where this happened and this was the solution for yep. extreme gender nonconformity in our culture yep. in our society um but we can't let our fear of of um of kind of being forced to detransition or having having the the rug pulled out from under us we can't let that fear hinder our progress for the next generation and the next generation on how we understand this and how we integrate gender nonconformity into our society and there's still so much that we can we can think about and um you know like for the for the gay and lesbian cohort for example would there be could there be societal changes that would better integrate gay and lesbian people in ways that fewer people felt like they needed to alter their body in order to fit in. I mean, it's worth kind of considering those kinds of options and solutions. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think, so So my, I guess, my takes on this are often quite blinded by the fact that I'm, <clears throat> I'm not, I, I, I guess I, I don't think about the pragmatic on the ground um, what this looks like for trans people i keep like myself included i because I, I, I just keep looking I, I keep looking at this like we're 50 years ahead and we're going oh shit what the fuck did we do back then and like and that's the that's kind of the perspective i keep coming at this from which isn't useful for like the current moment right <clears throat> but as far as integrating um like i don't think that we'll ever be able to in the West, be able to kind of <clears throat> instigate kind of the gender nonconformity acceptance that exists in, well, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I don't have a broad enough understanding of this all, like, anthropologically across, across a variety of, because there are some that, you know, <clears throat> where, where any, any gender nonconformity will get you, you know, Beat to death, stoned, what, like, and then the others where it's like, oh, we've got we've got a nice designation and and, and community for you to, to to now be be included amongst. Um, you know, it, it varies so so widely, and I th I think we we have a fairly decent grasp of a middle ground, um, <clears throat> maybe without the whole puberty blockers and and you know, I don't think trans is, is at all a good good solution to it, but I just mean like as far as gender nonconformity, how it's accepted um, in yeah, and again, it, it's even going to, it, it even de depends, um, not even just in the West, you know, like, you know, conservative, small town, North America is very different than, you know, how things shake out in, you know, Oslo or whatever, you know, it's like, it's <clears throat> very, 
these are very different experiences uh, in, in, in what we call uh, the West. But I think, so it's interesting that, that at a time where same-sex attraction, where homosexuality has, has gotten so much acceptance and is so, um, so societally accepted um, in, in, in our current culture, um, that, that, that we've also swung in this direction as well. Because I don't think, you don't see um, many gay men transitioning. It just doesn't happen. Like <clears throat> maybe some teenagers, um, certainly, certainly the, the, the little, the pre-gay, you know, little boys, mm-hmm. they're often being put on, on the transition path. But you don't see adult gay men transitioning. It, it basically is just unheard of. And, and I think that is because there is, um, well, it's not unheard of. There, 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 it is happening, um, <laughs> but it, but it's quite it's quite rare. Certainly, relative to to their lesbian counterparts, where it's basically been described as endemic in the in the lesbian mm-hmm. community. That you know, there, there's no butches left essentially because yeah. everybody's transitioning. Do you think it's that's like a passing issue, though. Like, do you think it's because I mean, it, a, you know, a forty year old butch lesbian who takes testosterone, it's probably going to masculinize her enough that she could pass in society whereas that might not be true for for gay men if they if they wait i mean because you're right i think most of the it's gay boys that are transitioning not gay men but do you think that's mm-hmm. that could be a passing issue that if they if gay men wait until they're 30 40 that they've masculinized enough that they probably wouldn't pass i think i think most gay men kind of relish in the fact of being of being men, like I think, I think there, I think there's, um, there's, there's a certain, you know, like the, the highly, highly effeminate who maybe can't, because um, um, again, I, I keep going back to the fact that I think it is so societal for for women and so uh, sexual for men of whatever variety, right? Whatever, whatever the the desire to transition, it seems that seems to be the case, and I think for most gay men. They don't want to give up being a gay man to be a woman. Like it just it doesn't make sense um, um, interpersonally. Um, let's say. Um, I, I, so I, I so I think that that's why. I mean, for some those they exist certainly, uh, but I think it's very rare relative to the um, to to the, les, to the lesbian version of that. So I don't think it is about passing so much as I think. I think certainly in the West. Once you've gotten through the awkwardness of, of adolescence or even even early adolescence, most gay men, <clears throat> from hearing their their perspectives, it's very much like, oh, this is awesome. Like it's yeah. it's very sexual. It's very much like I'm basically now just with all these other men who are all just about having sex all the time with everybody. Like it's awesome. Like it's it's a very different experience than the than the um, you know the the, the 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 female equivalent. And so I think. So I think unless they're, again, highly effeminate, highly, um, yeah, I think it'd be an outlier who would think that there could be a benefit mm-hmm. to transition. So I think, I don't think it is a passing issue, let's say. Which, which I think was always the case. Like historically, I think when people were coming to gender clinics of the gay and lesbian cohort, it was the highly, highly effeminate gay men and the, and the butch lesbian. Yeah, yes, up. yeah. Yeah, and true. we're the and then we're the minority. Like for whatever reason, even though a lot of gay and lesbians experience that kind of cross-sex identification as kids, most of them, as as, you, as we know, like most of them do um, shed that off by the time they're adults. And so it's really just a minority of us that that don't for for whatever reason. 
But that, so, but that, like, but then again, we've got the epidemic. <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> so I'm not. I hope that this doesn't sound glib. But like the epidemic of the of the of the disappearing butch, right? Like it, like it seems like the the rather than with with. Um, it seems to be going in the opposite direction. So I'm hearing from, from lesbians who are basically saying, you know, like Katie Herzog's done the whole piece on it. And you hear people online all the time, you know, um, self, self-identified femmes who are basically saying that, that you know, the, the butches are all, are all, um, all transitioning. It's happening in, like, it used to be the case where it was like the extremely dysphoric, non-conforming lesbian transitioning. Now it seems to be like, oh, I prefer to wear jeans all the time. I guess I'll, yeah. I'll start a, a testosterone regimen. Like, it seems to be so societally, like, it's so normal in, um, uh, so this is, in, so back when I was stealth, um, and I, I had, I had acquaintance at work um, who was a, a butch lesbian, and I, this was before. So, so I was stealth. I wasn't in in any part of like the trans community at all. I wasn't aware of the explosion in numbers, <clears throat> but so so she and I started following each other on social media, and I see that she's making all these posts about how everybody's constantly asking her, "When are you starting testosterone? Like, when are you?" And like her thing was always like fuck off, I love being a woman, I'm never going to transition. But it seemed to be like this constant bane of her existence was basically being asked, when is she going to transition? Because she's like a butch presenting uh, mm. lesbian. And, and I was just so so shocked reading that. I was like, wait, is this a thing? Are people basically being like, if you're a butch lesbian, it's basically like assumed that you're supposed to transition? And I remember like being quite quite alarmed by it. And that would have been um, that would have been about 2016, 2000, early 2017. Yeah, because I came fully aware of late 2017. Um, <clears throat> uh, but so it is, it is different that there, like, it seems now, like when, when you were transitioning, it was a rarity, right? And now mm-hmm. it seems to be like, like, again, like the, the, that, that piece that Katie Herzog got more shit about is, is the, you know, the disappearing lesbians. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that trend. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, and I wonder why that is. I mean, it's, it's probably layers of things, right? I mean, it's probably the layer of, of misogyny and the layer of, of being gay and the layer of um, the fact that, you know, because we've talked about this before where I think, I think one of the protective factors for lesbians historically was the existence of butch femme subculture where lesbians who were masculine presenting with gender dysphoria could find a place for themselves within the gay and lesbian community where they would probably find a date because it were the butches are or were anyway um fairly fairly prized within the lesbian community not right. so much outside the lesbian community that's where things were hard but within the lesbian community we definitely had a place that i don't think gay men had in the same way so historically i think I think that is a factor in why we were seeing more gay men transition than gay women is that we could find ways to still be ourselves and be accepted within the community at least. But I think as more and more of us have transitioned, I don't think that pocket of a community or subculture exists within the trans within the lesbian community anymore. Right, right. Okay. That makes sense. So I don't, so I don't know if young, if young lesbians really know that that's even an option. To create, yeah. a, to create a butch femme subculture or, or not necessarily created. I think it does still exist, but it to, you know, to revitalize it and, and bring that back. But yeah, it, it, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, right now, it just seems like it's like like you know, let's just start start microdosing on testosterone, and you know, and that's actually another thing that I've been thinking about. I've been hearing about that is is like um, lesbians microdosing on testosterone or like just masculinizing a little bit. And at first, I was kind of like shocked at the idea, but the more I think about it, it's kind of like, you know, if you're realizing that you're, if you're, if you're thinking about it just cosmetically, you're going to use it for a short term of, like a short amount of time. You want these cosmetic masculinizing effects, and then you're not thinking it's going to turn you into a man. You just want, you know, it's like, I feel like that's actually a little bit healthier than you know, the, the perspective I went into it with, you know. But yeah. um, anyway, that's a bit of a bit of a sidetrack there. Um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, like that that butch lesbian that I was talking about. That was early um, early 2017. She would have been in her mid or late 20s, and she was very kind of uh, embracing of the of the lesbian or uh, excuse me of the butch femme uh, subculture. So it still seemed to exist then, and she was quite proud of it. Um, it seemed and very hostile to the to the um, the idea of transitioning, which is like you know kudos to her. And still you know seeing her socials occasionally, she hasn't transitioned, so <laughs> that's good news. But um, uh, but you were saying before though that um, that in the past there was that that um, that kind of subculture that you said butches with gender dysphoria. Do you think has like do you think that the the, the experience of gender dysphoria like and being butch or self-identified butch is that, is that like were those two basically analogous or was it just occasionally that they overlapped or do, like what do you do you think it's think like it, always been the it, case or? i think it overlapped i think the okay the, i think the aspect of what i've started to call that opposite sex mirroring just that social mirroring that that some gay and lesbian people do so i mean as children i think a lot of gay and lesbian people just instinctively do that they just instinctively <clears throat> they don't understand as part of their sexual orientation or what that's <clears throat> about but they just instinctively girls start you know mimic what what the boys are doing and and the boys start mimic mimicking what the girls are doing um i think i think that is part of a sexual orient is a part of our sexual orientation that we don't really quite understand yet kind of why that happens and, and what that is but i think the distress is what's is what's not universal like i think that the gender nonconformity of gay and lesbian people seems to be pretty universal because it exists in many cultures around the world throughout history yeah different cultures have different ways of responding to that and and you know as you mentioned earlier ranging from everything from like stoning them to death to to finding ways of integrating it but it exists throughout the world so i think mm -hmm. i don't and i don't call that gender dysphoria i think i probably did at one point when i didn't really right. understand all of this but i think that gender nonconformity is just a natural part of our sexual orientation that some cultures uh, give space to and some cultures don't but I think the dysphoria part is the part that's not universal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more culturally constructed. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, you know, it's, I think it's because of society's, society's response to gender nonconformity <clears throat> and a lack of, for me, a lack of understanding of what that even is. Like, what framework do I use to understand what that is and, and make sense of it in the context I was living in is what caused me distress, not, not the gender, gender nonconformity in itself. Okay. So, so right. in that sense, I don't think every butch lesbian feels dysphoria, doesn't necessarily feel distress or dis discomfort, but uh, quite a few of the ones that I've known over the years have, have expressed feeling at least some 
discomfort with their body feeling you know feeling like their body was supposed to be male in some way and mm-hmm. always sort of s- struggling with that and and trying to negotiate that but so the distress part definitely seems um contextual and, and yeah and optional isn't the right word because it makes it sound like it's it was my choice to feel distress or not but it right right that, yeah, yeah. yeah so i don't i, I don't think so gender dysphoria in adulthood i would say it, it it i used to refer to gender dysphoria as that experience of incongruence and now i'm kind of re- rethinking that i think that that incongruence that gender nonconformity, is just i don't think that's pathology right i, I think right. that's that's mm-hmm. just, that just happens i think that's just a natural uh organic development um for gay and lesbian people and it turns into gender dysphoria if we have no framework or no way of understanding it and no support for that experience. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's that makes my, sense. That's my take. I mean, I'm going to change my mind as I, as I learn new information, right. but, but looking at, you know, looking at um, the Western science of what is the homosexual transsexuals, looking at Blanchard's work, Bailey's work, and that, but then looking at that in the context of like Paul Vesey's work, studying homosexuality in other cultures that's just sort of where how i'm piecing all of those all of that data together um because it's it's my understanding and not not that these cultures where there's um like a third sex category not that those are utopias where everything is perfect and they don't experience any discrimination or any trouble but but it is a culture that rather than telling those boys and girls to stop that behavior and, you know, to man up or to, to look more ladylike, at least they're giving them a place in society to express that. And it's my understanding that in those cultures where people have that place to, to just express their sexuality that way and their identity that way, that they don't experience gender dysphoria in the same, that we, the same way that we do here in the West. But they aren't. To my knowledge, there aren't really those places for the gender non-conforming girls. It seems to be just tailored around around the boys, right? It's so my understanding that, that, like in Samoa, that they do. They, there is an equivalent of the Fafafini. Oh, okay. Um, but they're. It's my understanding that I mean, they're not talked about as much. They're not as visible. There are fewer of them. It's my understanding that they're they don't receive the same degree of social acceptance that the Fafafini do. Okay. Okay. And that, but that was the case. I mean, that that reminds me of Canada thirty years ago. I mean, where where butch lesbians and gay men. I mean, we're very limited limited in society, and and social class seems to have played a role in that. I mean, a lot of the mm-hmm. butches that I knew over the years um, came from working class families, uh, where it was socially acceptable to be kind of a butch woman. I mean, how many farm women in, you know, right prairies of of the united states have wear plaid shirts and short hair have short hair and are more masculine presenting so there was room i think in in the working classes to be more gender present gender non-conforming in ways that i don't think middle classes can yeah and, and we heard that from there's more rob, social pressure yeah. yeah we heard that from rob rob fleming when he talked to us about um what things are like for lady boys that that, mm-hmm. that the lady boys seem to mostly come from the, the lower classes Mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. a place for themselves but you couldn't be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer as a gender non-conforming person right 
Yeah. I think that I, I think that was true and is true in many places in North America as well. Like where it's interesting. A, a lot yeah. of a lot of um, trans women still do sex work because yeah. they're they're just aren't. And for a long time, that's kind of for a lot of them, that's the only work they could do. Right? Is is sex work, entertainment industry, maybe some entre- entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, so quite similar to what's what uh, Rod described happening in Southeast Asia that that was very much true for us 30 years ago where butches you know were, were kind of associated with working class jobs and manual labor and, and factory work and those kinds of jobs and but isn't that it doesn't have a lot to do with <clears throat> again going back to like to, to, to like I think it was Blanchard's research where <clears throat> um, uh, um, like uh, typically butch like uh, or maybe it wasn't anyway anyway the, the research shows that um, uh, that that highly masculine women do gravitate towards more manual labor jobs or more jobs more often associated with men, and then the opposite with um, with uh, gay males gravitating towards more uh, more typically uh, female oriented um, professions. So I wonder I if there, you know, there's a bit that. of that as well. Yeah, and I believe that, and they've said that about you know um, uh, about female autism and. Um, or people with um, CAH, like girls with, with right. CAH, yeah. tend to, you know, tend to be more often same-sex attracted and gravitate to more male typical op- occupations. But what the, what would that mean for somebody in the upper class? Like if you were growing up in a family of lawyers, doctors, engineers, professors, like you know that upper middle class, if that was your context and your family, and you were a butch lesbian. 30 mm-hmm. years ago, could you, you, know, I'm, could you I, have, so would you, what, what would, what would it mean to gravitate to a, a more masculine career? And could you do that career 30, 40, 50 years ago as a butch lesbian? No, not, not. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying, but, but I, and I hope I don't offend him when I bring this up, but it, I'm actually reminded of, of, of Scott Nugent talking about how I failed finishing school twice. Like, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he came from, uh, I, th- I think, a pretty, pretty upper class uh, kind of family, and he was quite, um, uh, you know, very gender nonconforming, and was basically, um, you know, tried to be molded into this this prim proper uh, little girl. And uh, <laughs> it was joking about that. How do you fail finishing school twice? But uh, but yeah, it's like and hearing, hearing that story, I'm so glad I grew up on a farm, <laughs> right? <laughs> because right. I I would have failed finishing school too, and I was I did well yep. just out in the bush building tree forts with the boys, right? right? But, Same, yeah. Um, but I so I do think social class is a big part of it, and I do think, and you know, people aren't going to like this because they don't like us ever talking about the benefits of transition. But I mean, it, I think it's helpful to understand people do things based on what's going to improve your quality of life and because I have a tangible memory of gender non-conforming gay and lesbian people kind of occupying the space in the fringes of society where our options were pretty limited in terms of career options and lifestyle options. You know, people give give Buck Angel shit for doing porn all the time, but right, what, what right. were the options for a trans man or a very highly butch woman back in his day? Like you have to kind right. of understand the context in which things happen and we're just trying to survive. And when you look at the state of gender nonconforming gay and lesbian people around the world. So I talked to Severus, you know, a few weeks ago about what's, what is life like for a gay and lesbian person in, 
in Africa, you know, there are places in the world where your life looks pretty bleak if you're a butch woman or mm-hmm. or an effeminate gay man and can't hide. I mean, it's really it's it's discrimination against gay and lesbian people. But when you're butch or or highly effeminate, you can't hide your sexual orientation. Right. 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 So, yeah. so that discrimination is going to in, impact you to a greater extent. And so, considering how much things have changed for trans people over the last 30 years, having gone from, you know, our only options being prostitution and manual labor all the way through, you know, and now we occupy positions in government and, and we're, and we're all over the place, right? I mean, there's trans (laughs) doctors, there's trans lawyers, there's trans politicians. So, so it, it, it has improved our quality of life in a sense, like in the sense that we're able to, occupy places in society that we couldn't have before but that that doesn't mean that i i think trans is really the long-term solution for that problem i mean that surely there's a better solution to gay lesbian people being marginalized than having all of us have to transition in order to because i felt frustrated i wasn't i i grew up working class but i wasn't a very rough and tumble kind of person i'm bookish i liked art i was if I had been born male, I would have been a, probably a fairly effeminate male. Like, so I, I don't have a very um, gruff and aggressive personality. So working in a, in a factory or something with my brother or on the oil fields, I mean, that just wouldn't have suited me very well. Um, so I was drawn to, to, to books and art and, and things like that. So um I felt like in order for me to contribute what I wanted to contribute just based on my own skills and temperament and, you know, it, I needed to step beyond my social class because my social class would have been manual labor. Oh, okay. (laughs) Right. So I I felt like I I wanted to um, do something. I wanted to go to university and, and, and. uh, Do something more with my life than I could have back home. And I don't, it it just would have been really hard i think to it was really hard to do that as a gender non-conforming person it 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 definitely limits what our options are yeah yeah but yeah what do you what do you think in like this the salute bringing it back to that question is like what 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 does it look like for gender non-conforming people you know post trans <clears throat> um you know i think we both agree that that we're we're kind of you know going to come to the the end of this this transitioning zeitgeist that we're currently living in and so what does that look like not just for those of us who have transitioned but i mean like like when, when it comes to um you know the the solution to not transitioning like you were talking about uh before like that the, the embracing of of gender nonconformity. and i want i wonder if if this will actually be the catalyst for that you know it's like mm-hmm. like the you've got the lisa sullen davises out there who are basically trying to you know trying to make visible and celebrate the gender nonconforming girl and and really really embrace you know that and, and it's kind of like um i don't think i don't think she had that that agenda but she kind of found out about the whole trans stuff along the way i think I, i'm sorry if i'm speaking way out of turn for lisa here but i mean like the where, where what i see her doing is essentially making space mm-hmm. for for that kind of gender nonconformity to not be medicalized yeah. and and i wonder if if a lot of people who are seeing what's going on with gender nonconforming kids and are going oh wait 
you know, let's make space for these kids to be who they are naturally and wholly, you know, without without this this medical path. And I wonder if that will be the catalyst to kind of, um, you, you know, to, to, to more to more broader social acceptance of of that kind of natural gender nonconformity. I don't know. Because, I think I think it's a noble mission. And it, right. I mean, it's one that I agree with, of course, in, in an ideal world, people can just be themselves and would have a, a place in society um, of acceptance and can contribute whatever gifts they have that you know, I don't think that my having been a masculine presenting lesbian should have should have been a limiting factor in what I can contribute to society and, and achieve in my life. So ideally, yeah, ideally gender nonconformity and homosexuality is integrate well integrated in, and understood and, and accepted in our society so that we can just be ourselves and not have to medicalize. I think that's, I think that's ideal, but I'm also a realist and um, how successful will we be on, you know, from town to town or country to country achieving that goal? Yeah. Probably not very, you know, I guess it still goes back to the fact that, that, um, you know, homosexuality is still, it, it is a rarity, you know, it is, it is, I mean, if we're going to be totally, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of an anomaly too, you know, I mean, like, but with, with gender nonconforming girls, like with the tomboys or whatever, they, they don't all, it's not, that's not a, it's more analogous, excuse me, I'm not sure if I'm using that word properly, but um, the, the association between hyper hyper femininity and boys and growing up to be gay is pretty much like, it's just how it, it it's almost just Again, I'm, I'm not sure of the word I'm looking for, um, <clears throat> but it, it's very rare that those boys go grow up to be straight. But with highly gender nonconforming girls, it's still the case that the majority of them do grow up to be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. They're much more likely to grow up to be lesbians than the average the average girl. But but still, the majority do grow up uh, to be to be straight. And like, so I don't even think it needs to be a case of because I think until very recently, until the 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 trans takeover we have been pretty good about um in again in the west and maybe not in the in very small towns but accepting of homosexuality like i feel like we've got made incredible strides in the last two decades on that front um but i'm not sure where i'm going with this either because but it's also always been the case that tomboys that that highly masculine girls we've never had really a problem in childhood. Like there was never really like a bullying or, or really any sort of um, maze or, you know, it's only once you reach adulthood that you're like, okay, now I really don't fit. I've got to either figure this out and, and conform or like, again, go the, go the butch identification route. Um, but, um, but for the most part, like with, with the boys, it's like, they're the ones who are ridiculed and abused as children and that doesn't go away you know um unless again they, they put on the, the the masculine performance in adulthood and can and some of them can some of them can't um but i think so i'm not sure where i'm going with this other than like maybe maybe it's the case that the girls have a harder time or excuse me have a much easier time in childhood you know that gender nonconformity is fine tomboys are basically cool in most generations at least the last you know you know uh uh, Megan Dahl was talking about this. It's like to be, you know, at least in the in the seventies and beyond. It was like it was cool to be a tomboy, and then um, um, again, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, other than like that that 
it seems to be that it becomes less and less acceptable the older you get as as a female mm-hmm. um and and that i think that could be part of the answer for that whole the the the, the disappearing butches is like it's much more societally uncomfortable to be a highly masculine woman as an adult than it is to be uh you know a flamboyant gay man we seem to kind of celebrate that now there seems to be you know like the whole queer eye culture it's like that that's kind of lauded and loved um in a way now that that masculinity and an adult woman isn't um and then but then yeah on the flip side of that it's much more difficult to be a highly effeminate boy than it is to be a highly masculine um yeah. girl but yeah where do we create ambiguity makes people really uncomfortable yeah and and i think that that feeling that people get of that when people see somebody, I remember there being skits back in the 80s. I can't remember what show this was on. Was it Kids in the Hall or, or Saturday Night Live? It was a skit. Pat? About, Are you talking about Pat? Pat, yes. Pat. Yep, yep. What, yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, like trying to place Yeah, yeah. so trying to figure out, is this yep. a boy or girl? And had, you know, uh, the, the name didn't help. I couldn't remember if it was Pat or Chris. I knew it was like a, a name that could be either male or female. It makes people uncomfortable when they can't tell. It creates a lot yep. of anxiety for people. And um, yeah. And I think that's the closest thing that I can think of for someone to understand what gender dysphoria feels like is that feeling of unease of not being able to fit somebody into one of our categories Yeah. and how much distress that that causes some people. Interesting. I think, I think yeah. it's a similar yeah. kind of distress mm-hmm. that I felt. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Because okay. I couldn't categorize yeah. myself. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I don't know how we, that's just a visceral reaction, right? To um, to how cognitive categorization works and how we make sense of the world. And when something exists that we can't fit into our worldview and makes us feel uncomfortable, I don't know how we shut that off. Like, how do we, because it, it is such as a, an instinctual discomfort that people feel. Yeah, and, and, and there's there's obviously reason for it, right? It's like it's it's important to be able to sex somebody, like to know, <clears throat> you know, to know to to know what, um... especially for women. Yeah, yeah, for, for absolutely. Men, for men, I think the anxiety is I don't want to accidentally sleep with a man. I think that's where their anxiety comes from. Yeah, but yeah. I think for women, there's a lot of love or nuance in just their ability to recognize male and female for safety reasons. Yeah, but even just for social interaction, you know, like so much of, of our so, our social interactions are are very gendered, and a lot in a lot of ways people don't even realize until you've you know had our experience where you've received either end of it. It's like it's very different how people, um, uh, you know, there's just certain interactions that it, that all that change based on based on you know the sex of the person you're interacting with, and so I think for a number of reasons it's kind of like people are trying to figure it out, um, you know to know to know how to how to adapt and respond. Um, and I think because of that, I think that's where some of the acceptance of trans has come from. When you, when you see somebody, and you feel that whatever that feeling is of just that discomfort of this person doesn't fit right into what our society says we are to expect of males and females I, I think most people can say, transition well, fix that I can, yeah that transition fix that not only for that person but for everyone who felt that discomfort as well right yeah yeah I can see that um oh but I was gonna say like another thought I had is, is like I obviously spend a lot of time amongst the gender critical um people but that 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 it, and obviously I understand it uh in the the whole 
you know, that that sex is more important than than gender identity. So, but when it comes to like the, the concept of eradicating gender, I don't think that will work because gender is just sort of the the social uh, the social manifestation of sex, right? Of of biology, and 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 that it certainly has its use and uh, in all in all cultures throughout all time, like there's a reason for it and so so yeah going back to that it's like when, when you've got people who kind of abut that that natural system that we all kind of abide by um it, it does it causes uh yeah discomfort and unease and um well, yeah, yeah I'm not when, sure. when my ex was was pregnant with our daughter that we we knew the sex from ultrasound but we didn't want we didn't want to do a reveal. We wanted just it to be a surprise for everybody. So we didn't tell anybody. And it caused people even a lot of distress that we wouldn't tell them the sex of, Interesting. of the baby that we were going to have. It's like, it's, it, it causes people this, like, a kind of dysphoria. Like, it, yeah. it, that, what do you, like, I need to know because I don't know. It's what, kind of I don't a know what, I don't know what clothes to buy. I don't know right. what toys to buy. I don't, which is dumb, right? I mean, so yeah. we said, well, buy buy purple clothes then. Buy green yeah. or purple clothes or black clothes or there's lots of colors <laughs> beyond just there's yeah. lots of colors beyond just pink or blue, yeah. right? But um, it costs yellow. Little, Yellow's the good baby yellow, friendly. <laughs> yeah, she had, yeah, my daughter had a lot of green, yellow, purple, black yeah. clothes. Um, but yeah, it, it just our sense of. I, our ideas of personhood seem so tied to whether we're male or female in, in ways yeah. that are sometimes sometimes true and accurate and sometimes, I think, just stereotypes and cultural. And certainly when you don't know a person. I, I feel like I feel like the sex of a person matters a lot more when you don't know them. Like you don't but like once once you get to know somebody, then there's there's less um I don't know, their 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 gender seems to be less relevant to to um but like as the, the scale of, of intimacy of relationships goes, right? You know, it's like yeah. the, the, the more distant a person is to you, the more important it is to know. I'm, I'm kind of just, again, hashing mm -hmm. this out, but when you were describing people not knowing, you know, not telling people, uh, you know, that your daughter was, was going to be a girl, was a girl, however to phrase that, you know, when they had, had this ambiguity about her sex, I, I, I thought of like Schrodinger's cat. It's like, yeah. you can't really think of this person as a real person until you know, like that's like, it's just sort of this, this, the, this idea of a person that's emerging. But like, if you know if it's a boy or a girl, then like you can start to think about it as a full as a full person, like to start yeah. to like kind of put ideas and I don't, I don't know. It's like they kind of manifest more into the world once you know their, once you know the gender. Yeah. Um, and you so, see that, you see that when we transition too, that people start to think of us as a whole other person, right? And the people that were close yeah. to us feel like they have to grieve the old person as if that person's not there. And from the point of view of the person transitioning, that that's a little bit of a kind of a mind fuck because really is. internally I'm the same person I've always been. I don't really, I mean, I think I'm healthier. I think I'm mentally healthier and better now, but I, I'm still the same person and none of that's changed. So it is, it yeah. is weird seeing people respond to us, at least it was for me. I don't know if you experienced that, and but no, it, it no. was hard to, to, not that I didn't understand people's grief and I let them, I let them do that, but it is just weird feeling like you're not the, you're, you're a completely different person or that person's gone. It, it's like, no, I'm not. I'm still, I'm still yep. here. Right. It's, yep. it's, a, it's a weird thing to go through. 
Yep, it really, it really is. And I wish I had better understanding of that at the time, that what their perspective was, you know, because for me, it's like, no, I'm the exact same person. I'm just like physically manifesting what I feel internally, like how I've always seen myself is now what I'm going to physically manifest, you know, it's like, so I didn't see myself changing at all. I'm the same person. But yeah, people around me were having like a really, um, you know, especially my dad, like a real grieving process around it. And I just couldn't fathom it. And I, like, I was like, dude, like, I'm the same person like this. This doesn't have to be a big deal. Um, and I really wish I understood that better. Like, you know, mm. not everybody's perspective of me is the same as my perspective of me, you yeah. know, and like they have, you know, my dad had a completely different relationship with, you know, his concept of me than, you know, than than my concept of myself. Right. So um, and yeah, I, I wish I'd understood that better because it is it is a big deal for the people external mm -hmm. to you in a way that it just doesn't feel like it is for us. It's like, oh, I'm just I'm just fixing a discomfort. I'm just fixing this mis mismatch with what you see and what I know I am. You know, mm -hmm. um, obviously, I, I don't think of it in those terms anymore, but that's very much how it felt like I wasn't I was just changing my physicality. I'm still the exact same person. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult for other people. Yeah. It is very for parents, especially like yeah. parents, parents do go through a grieving process. And my, even though my parents, because they saw how much I suffered and they, yes, homophobia is a factor there too. Um, but it, my relationship with them has improved a lot since my transition. They had to go through the grieving process and their confusion about it, but they right from the very beginning were very supportive of it as well just because it, it was very clear to them. I, I definitely wasn't one of the ROGD kids where there was no mm -hmm, sign mm -hmm. of gender nonconformity. And then all of a sudden I started right. you know, presenting this way. So they saw that very obvious gender nonconformity from my entire life and how much I suffered. And so it was, I think that made it easier for them to, mm -hmm. to grasp this and, and get behind me and support me. Um, and, and I think they have seen my life and my mental health improved and my relationship with them has improved, but they, even they had to still go through a grieving process mm -hmm. and, and not, and, and an awkwardness of like, do I keep these old photos or, you know, do I need to take that photo off of my wall and all of those little things that yep. now have to be negotiated and changed. And it, it's the whole family goes through that. It's, and it's very difficult for people. And I don't think we always appreciate that yeah. at the time when we're going through it. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And, and now I'm thinking more of like these families now is like, there's, there's so many of them now uh, going through this and um, with, and we fortunately, or I think it was kind of coming into the, into the, the, the Lex, the trans lexicon, excuse me, in 2010, 2011, when I was coming out and transitioning. Um, but this, um, this idea that, you know, people who don't embrace and celebrate, they're, they're, you know, transphobic. And I think now today that's so, so I, I feel like I was insensitive in not allowing, you know, those close to me to fully like, because not understanding their, their perspective of loss. Um, but I certainly wasn't, um, you know, uh, you know, calling them transphobic for feeling that they were losing mm -hmm. something. Um, but now that seems to be the case is like these, these families are basically being, um, uh, it is a, it's a kind of a form of emotional abuse where not only do they have to get on board and celebrate with the person transitioning, it's like if they have any reservation, any concern, any, um, you know, any grief that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's transphobia. Um, yeah, I certainly didn't interpret it as, as transphobia at the time, but it, I, what I had done when I um, first told my parents that I was going to 
to transition. I wrote them a letter about it, which is kind of classic, but I wanted to give them time to process it. Yep. Yep. And and not feel like they had to to respond. I didn't want to put them on the spot. And so I'm glad I did it that way. And um, it, it, my dad said he, by the time my dad reached out to me, he read it several times and, you know, wanted it all over. But I, one of the boundaries that I set with my family early on, I said, I know you're going to have feelings about this. I know that you're going to need your space to process your own feelings. But I set a boundary saying, but this is also going to be a very difficult process for me. And I can't carry the burden of your feelings as well as the burden of my feelings. And so I gave them permission to have their feelings and to go through their process, but I didn't want it placed on my shoulders to, to have to have to process all of that with them, which I, I don't regret doing in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cause it, it, they, they went through their process. I went through mine and we, and we were able to support each other in, in where we could, but I tried not to burden them with my process. And I, I also asked that they not burden me with, with their process either just, because they because people say things when they're going through a process right and when they're grieving and it, it can be really hurtful and and the transition was was stressful and I, I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to to carry all of their feelings through it but I didn't that's very but I didn't want to deny them their feelings either that's very mature very responsible I, I didn't have that <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that much uh, foresight with it all, unfortunately. Yeah, I think what helped my parents though is when they just saw that I really wasn't a different person. You know, like I obviously I yep. look I look different, but it, it my parents still recognize. In some ways, I, I I've come home, figurative, figuratively speaking, that I've they see more of who they remember me as when I was a kid. Okay, in terms of my personality and my values and. So they actually see more of the person that they know um, that had slowly been shutting down over the years because of just how bad the gender dysphoria was getting. And okay, I wonder if that's different, though, with, with parents these days, because so many people, young people today are transitioning in order to be somebody else, like in order to yeah. invent this whole new persona and yeah. a whole new personality. And, and that that wasn't my experience. Like my, yep. I, I mean, I probably went... I well, I definitely, you know, when at the height of when I first started transitioning and the stress of that, it's not that I always was my best self in those moments of crisis, but I landed in a place where my parents recognized, okay, I see you, I see more of, of, of you and the person that, that we remember and, and like, and, and I think they're appreciative to have me back in relationship with them. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a very different experience for parents whose kid just seems like I don't recognize you at all. Like I don't recognize yeah. your peer group. I don't recognize your personality. I don't recognize your interests. Like nothing about that person seems the same. And that must be very difficult for parents to wrap their heads around. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine. And and that's something that, that I've been... We, I think we we spoke about a bit a bit is this this concept of of now I'm hearing people basically I transitioned because I hated myself and I wanted to be somebody else entirely, and um, I think that that's that's probably fairly common. Um, well, well, I'm only we're only hearing about it from the detransitioners who who now introspect on it and go, this this was you know a, a motivating factor for me. Um, 
but yeah, what that must look like to the families I hadn't considered is like, it's like you, you're basically just, just erasing everything I knew of you to be and basically creating this whole new persona to embody. Um, yeah, that, that, that'd be incredibly uh, difficult. Cause yeah, I, I always saw, you know, it's like, I never envisioned like changing myself. I saw that I was basically being more myself. And I do think that's, that's faulty logic now, but at the time it was certainly, and, and it's still, it's still true to, to, to a lot of extent. It's like, it's like, I'm still the exact same person. Um, oh, we can talk about how, how hormones change your psychology and whatnot, but it was like, but I, I wanted to be exactly myself without the dysphoria and to present, you know, like, and, and that's, and that's what I felt, feel like I achieved. Um, but, but that's a very different experience than, then going, I, I need to be somebody else entirely and transition will enable that. And, and I think that's a really easy thing to think and a really, um, yeah, I, I don't think transition is, is like, is, is a safe, safe solution uh, in any circumstance. But I do think that that's, that's a much more dangerous uh, path to go down is, is to use transition to, to basically become someone else. Um, but yeah, you can see, I can see that being very, very, um, very alluring and very dangerous. Yeah. 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 I can, I can just appreciate, um, just the magnitude of, of what parents would, would go through when there is that complete reinvention of self. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And, and everybody around, yeah, not just the parents. I mean, yeah, I guess we could talk about more, more of the parents because those are going to be the ones most impacted, but now there's also, you know, oftentimes there's parents transitioning and they've got children who have to you know observe this process and, and deal with you know i can't even fathom what that would be like from a um from a child's perspective um but yeah friends spouses you know siblings um there's just so many um yeah yeah so so many variables that i seldom think about in all this but yeah let me talk about who's impacted who's who's witnessing a loss yeah. um yeah it's it's a lot yeah i um Something we've, we haven't really talked about much is what things were like for us prior to transition and, and the impact of gender dysphoria on us and our functioning. Is that, is that something you're kind of cool to talk about a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I was, I, I, I functioned very well. I was, I was, it was something I was very easy for me to compartmentalize. It was, um, uh, Again, I think I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was, you know, I was heterosexual. I was, um, it was more like, um, like a like a like a dream, like like a fan, like um, like a deep desire to to transition. And I didn't think about it as that. It's more like um, it was a um. So, so for me, dysphoria was ever present, but it was more it was, like I've talked about before. It was it was very shameful. It was like this this feeling that I should have been a boy, that I wished more than anything that I was a boy, was was very shameful for me. It's something I kept very closely locked in the back of my mind, and would only would only um, basically um, entertain. Um, it's going to sound like a gynephilia. It's not like, like it wasn't at all ever a sexual thing, but it was like something I would only entertain when alone. So it was like only something. And I, it wasn't like I was fancy. 
it's hard to explain. It was more like I allowed myself to believe that I was male when I was alone. But when I was with people, I knew I couldn't do that, is, is how, if that makes sense. It was mm-hmm. like I had, to, it, I, had to put, I had to perform woman when I was around people. Mm-hmm. But when I wasn't, then, then, then I didn't have to. And then I could kind of, I could, I could recede into that fantasy that I was a man. And again, I don't mean fantasy because it was never sexual, but it was like, um, but it was secret and it was shameful and it was a fantasy. Um, and then, but did then, an, one, did you have like an uh, an image in your mind of what kind of like what you would look like if you were a man? Or basically, yeah. I mean, well, I didn't. Don't. I didn't. I'm not very. I'm not very imaginative in my brain. But what I'm what I imagined was just myself more masculine and with a flat chest and like a penis. But like it wasn't like it was. I didn't focus on the general part. But like it because it it was more. Like the, the the flat chest and the mass and the, like a masculinized like I, I there's another part where it's like I always felt that I was bigger than I am like and I still do that I still feel like I am bigger than I am like and there's there's that as well but like when I when I see myself in the mirror it's kind of I do see that I see exactly my same self just masculine and it's so it's I think that's why dysphoria was so reduced is because it's kind of like I embodied, I, I basically manifested what I envisioned I would, which is a flat chest and a more masculine appearance. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it, um, and, and so there's no longer that, that my body betraying what, what I internally envisioned, but I didn't, I never had like a specific vision of what I would look like. It was just like a concept of, 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 of masculinization of the, um, um, but anyway, so, so, but it was, again, something I could easily compartmentalize and live my life. I never had any depression. Either. I was just, um, it was just, yeah, something that I kept well in the back of my head um, until, until I came across the idea of transition. And then it became, you know, all encompassing. And that's where I talk about how there's the, the Rajdi element. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was, it was once, once I became aware of the concept of transition that it became compul- obsessive. And I could no longer compartmentalize it. So mm-hmm. I think I think if I had never encountered the, the possibility of transition, I would have because it did it it never it didn't get worse. Like it wasn't like it was something that I always had in the back of my mind, but it was easy for me to compartmentalize and to live my life. It was only when I encountered the idea of transition that it became obsessive mm-hmm. and and hyperfixated upon. Um, so before that, it like and so I think I talked about this with with Sasha and Stella is like like. They asked if I like was transition avoidable. Now, no. Like, if the more and more that transition becomes societally visible, the less I could have avoided it. Like, mm-hmm. I when I, I encountered it in 2010 because that's when it had started to seep into the culture, and I realized it was around me in, a, in an option. If I hadn't done it, if I decided no, that's a bad idea. By 2014, 2015, when it was everywhere around me, I absolutely couldn't have avoided it. I, there's no, I don't see any any circumstances where I wouldn't be sitting here having transition, basically, unless, you know, the concept hadn't seeped into the the the, the societal ether. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't think I would have been one of those people that would have attempted like, um, you know, like self-surgery or anything. Like I never felt a compulsion to change, physically change my body until that seemed like a, like a viable option, right? right? Until I actually met yep. people and they seemed to be more or less healthy and 
you know, there seemed to be a little more research about it saying, you know, what the risks were. And so it wasn't until that was presented as, as an actual option that, and, and then, and then having seen that documentary that, that told me that, well, you are a trans person because he had those experiences. So the, putting those two things together, it definitely created that compulsion. It's like, okay, I'm, right. I'm, I need to do this then I'm going to do this and this is going to make me feel better. And, and then that's when the tunnel vision started and, yep. and I needed to just power through it because I knew it would be stressful and it was scary. So I, it's sort of like putting myself into a time capsule. It's like, I'm just going to sort of shut my brain off and mm, okay. do what I need to do. And, you know, I'll wake up when I land on, land on the other sides sort of experience. Okay. But, okay. But prior to then, I, I wouldn't say it was obsessive, but I, it did, and I, I, I did compartmentalize it too. But there were certain times in my life where it would be it was harder to compartmentalize than others. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my function, like I was still, as a kid, I had, I still had lots of friends. I still did well in school. I didn't get into any trouble. Like I still, I was still functioning. Mm-hmm. Um. It became harder to function as I got older, though. Like teenage years were were awful, and and then early adulthood, I was starting to make sense of it. Um, but it it was socially it it was difficult for me, and um, I mean, it got to the point where like, having had the experience since I was three, where I just put myself into the male category, it just felt it felt weird. Like it felt like there was always a disconnect. It was a barrier between me connecting with other people uh, because mm-hmm. I felt okay. like, I felt like I always had this, this secret. It's like, yep. you know, because in my mind yep. I was having this experience and perceived myself a certain way. And I never, though it was obvious to everyone around me that I was gender nonconforming. I mean, a lot of people thought that I actually was a boy when I was a little kid. So, so that part wasn't a secret. I don't think I could have hid that. But my inner process was a secret. I never actually mm-hmm. said out loud yep. to anybody, I am yep. a boy or I think I'm a boy or what is this? And I'm not sure anyone would have been able to give me any kind of answers back then, even if I had vocalized it. So I felt a lot of shame about that. And that yep. didn't feel like something I could be open with people about. So that social barrier felt like it became more and more intense where I just felt like like every interaction felt inauthentic to me. And so there was, and that felt so uncomfortable, felt so uncomfortable that there was a point where I just stopped making an effort. Like I, I just became very withdrawn within myself um, because social interactions felt wrong and, and inauthentic and, unless, okay. they, unless they kind of knew this about me. And, and okay. in terms of my own bodily stuff, like have you ever had that experience? Like the first time you ever heard your voice, recorded and you hear it back and yeah and you, it feels jarring you know it's like well, yeah that, that's not what my voice sounds like because we all hear a voice a little bit differently than it yeah. actually sounds so yeah for me dysphoria was like that to an extreme like every time i saw my, my myself in a mirror or in a photograph yep. or on videotape it's like it was uh-huh. jarring because that's not what i sound that's not what i look like yep. that's not what i sound like that's, that's yep. not me and if that's what other people are seeing then they're not seeing me is how yep. I rationalized it. And that just became so painful Okay, that there were periods of my life, where, you know, by the time I was in my early adulthood where I was almost mute because um, that's the degree to which it impaired my social functioning. Wow. And that wasn't the case when I was little. I mean, I was always sort right. of on the shy, sensitive side, but 
I had lots of friends and I socialized reasonably well and, and wasn't super self-conscious when I was little. And that set in yeah. more and more and more as I yeah. got older. Yeah, see, I had that exact same experience where, like, I would avoid mirrors. I hated pictures of myself because it's like, that is not me. Like, it was just, it was really jarring to see, but it didn't, it didn't impact me. Um, uh, It's it's weird because it didn't, it didn't seem to impact my mental functioning. Like, it was, I could, I could even compartmentalize that. It's like, I hated my reflection. I hated what I looked like. I I felt like it was, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I, like, I could objectively it, it wasn't like like a vanity thing. It was like, oh, I, I'm ugly. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like that's that's not me. Like that mm-hmm. I, that that looks like a, a woman, and that's not what I like. It was very uh, very difficult. So like to see, yeah, m- my voice not as much as as my my physical image, um, and but it, but it's weird because it never had any like any impact that's something that I could completely compartmentalize. It was like, I've always been a pretty like mentally, um, like, like they talk about people who are like, you know, like levels of, of like, like the, the joy depression or whatever. It's like, I've always been somebody who kind of operates on like that, that kind of optimism. I don't even know how to describe this, but it like, I've always been a pretty happy, enthusiastic person. And that hasn't changed. Like my mood was never, negatively impacted it was again i was like i was really uncomfortable by my physicality and my reflection and i shouldn't have looked like that but it was like it didn't like seep anywhere else i don't mm-hmm. know it's it's How it's weird to, sense of it like feeling that way that i that i just should that i was supposed to be male that i mm-hmm. that i should have been male but it was but i wasn't so like turn that off you know yeah. it was just like it's like i explained it that way that i was just supposed to be male but i wasn't so you know, carry on. Like it wasn't, um, yeah, I, I don't know why it didn't have any kind of negative, but I guess that's like that with other, like really like traumatizing things that have happened in my life and with like friends and whatnot and family and that it's like, it doesn't ever, it's like, it's, it's awful. And, but it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't ever diminish my, my baseline, like mental functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, or like even my, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm saying more than I intended to here, but I don't seem to be like, um, like I can just be sort of like pretty, pretty happy in like really bad circumstances. And I don't know, maybe yeah. a, a, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good coping mechanism I, I find, but it, yeah. it does seem to offend people when I'm like, <laughs> seem to be just like going on all like when, <laughs> when the world's falling apart around me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a strong protective factor, though, that you have yeah. a personality that just, you know, you're fairly yep. me- mentally healthy in, in every other way and, and so protected you from feeling devastated by that experience. But it, it is such yep. a trippy experience. Like it's and it's not like it's not like a psychotic delusion where it's not like I had an image of my head of exactly what I looked like. And therefore, right. when I saw myself in the mirror, it's like, no, like I should look like it, it was never that it was right. just nope. it was just as simple as. I don't look male. Yeah. And so yep. I, I don't even, I mean, now I'm, I'm bald and it, like, I, it's not like I had a, an image in my head that I must be a certain type of male. I just felt like right. for me, it was as simple as, but I don't look male. And, and it, yep. was very, it was very much about not even masculinity or femininity. It was about male or female. Yep. And I mean, I don't care that I'm bald or whatever. Like it doesn't matter to me what kind of male I look like as long as I look male. Right. Right. It's not, it's not about vanity. Yeah. It's not no. about like being, it's, it's like, it's just, it's fixing that 
not being male. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not devastated that I don't look like Brad Pitt or anything. Like, I, I... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have this experience? And we probably have to wrap it up soon. We got yeah. another. Uh, but um, uh, do you have this experience when I'm I'm not self conscious about my size? I'm I'm five six. You know, a uh, little on the heavier side right now. But but I mean like I'm not. Um, but I have this weird thing where I actually see myself as being much larger than I am. Like, it's weird. Um, like I, you know, friends who are, you know, so, so, so male friends who are like about five, nine, five, ten, your size, I think like you're about five, you're significantly taller than I am, but I'm five, six. But when I'm with people who are like five, ten, that range, I see them as my same size. Like I, I register that we are the same size. And then when it's put to me that there's a, you know, are they like, so if I are like borrowing, like I had to, uh, for this costume thing for the Christmas party, I had to borrow uh, my boss's, he had, he had an extra Christmas sweater and I thought we were the same size. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll have that extra Christmas sweater. And I put it on and it's just like draping off me. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I just, I think I'm much bigger than I am. <laughs> um, I, and then like, so my, my partner's five, five, just like an inch shorter than me. And I just, I just see him as much smaller than me. I don't know. Like, is that something that you experience where you see yourself like your physicality is not matching up? I don't know if that's a dysphoria thing or what it is, but it's not something that causes me any distress whatsoever. Not like when I saw my reflection, but it's like, it's just weird. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm much smaller than I see myself as. Yeah, it's not dysphoria because yeah. it doesn't cause me any distress, but yeah, yeah I don't know I don't, if that's like... Yeah, I don't feel much bodily like disconnect or, you know, where my perception is is different than the reality anymore that I can think of. Okay. I've always been so much taller than all the other girls. Like in right. kindergarten, I was actually self-conscious about my height because I was at least a foot taller than all the other kids oh, in, yeah. in, when I was five. Yeah. Oh. It wasn't until people were teenagers that they started to catch up with me and I, I stopped growing at some point. So I always towered over the other kids. So I definitely don't have a... Um, if anything, I, I kind of developed some postural issues because oh, I didn't, I didn't right. want to tower over everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was a period of time where I was just a weird, weird developmental. Um, my brother's two and a half years older than me. And obviously he is male. There's a period of time where I was taller than him that caused him great uh, uh, self-consciousness, but not I. But um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's because it's not it's not something that I'm I'm five, six. You know, that's pretty, you know, obviously normal height for a for a, um, you know, Anglo uh, female, but um, obviously short. Uh, you know, when I'm being read as, as male. Um, but yeah, it doesn't give me any, any, I'm not self-conscious about it. And it's, yeah, but it's just interesting that I, I seem to think that I am uh, much, much larger than I am. And not even just height, like, again, like, I, anyway, it's just, I, I feel like I'm bigger than I am, which... I don't know. You're like a chihuahua. You want to get out there. And play exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Well, thanks for the conversation. It's it's been a pleasure to to just chat yeah. one on one with you. We yeah, done it's been good. While we, and... we meandered a, a lot of different directions. Went from the uh, went from the um, kind of conceptual uh, societal. Con, uh, situation to to more uh, very deep personal stuff so yeah good chat thanks for joining us for this episode of the transparency podcast if you enjoy our content please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe if you'd like to make a donation follow the link to our paypal account on behalf of the gender dysphoria alliance thanks for your support <laughs>